Good morning, everybody. I like everything about that video except the way that it ends. I'm glad you're laughing, though. That's a good sign. I didn't know if you would appreciate the joke or what, but it just underscores how uh, awkward it is to talk about sex in church. Um, so this is part two. As you know, uh, we had uh, a session last week where we began talking about purity of sex from uh, what Jesus said uh, in uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And what we want to do is continue that today. So let's pray as we uh, dig into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, it is our delight to be in your presence, to be your people called by your name. And that is who we are. Thank you for our time of worship having our hearts and our minds become God-focused, reminding us yet again of your incredible grace and your power and your love for us. And so we rest in you. We desire, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would stir us up today and motivate us to be the people that you want us to be, that we could be salt and light in the world that we live in, and that through you, your kingdom, or, and through us, your kingdom can come into the world in which we live. We pray for your blessing upon our talk today, Lord, coming from your word, because it's a difficult subject for us to hear and talk about, even though we are absolutely surrounded by it, and it's one that we cannot escape. I pray for your blessing upon my words. I pray that you guide my speech. I pray that you would protect me from presumptuous sins, that you would help me to keep uh, from saying uh, unhelpful things. But help me to stay true to your word and the spirit and how you've helped me to prepare. And I pray for our hearing. I pray, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, would be touching hearts and minds. I'm well aware that many of us have, have uh, preconceived notions on this topic, which may be challenged today. And so I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to have hearts and minds that are willing to hear. I pray against the kingdom of darkness and anything that's set against us that would try to distract or, or create any kind of confusion around this topic. Help us, Lord, to be clear. Help us to be clear on what it is that you want us to hear today. We submit to you in everything, including this area of our lives, who you have made us to be as sexual human beings. And in Jesus' name, Lord, we ask all these things. Amen. So as I said, this is part two, and today we're going to be answering the question, what's wrong with sex, and how do we get it right? And as we get into this, I want you to know that I'm mindful, I'm very mindful of two things, right off the bat, right off the, the start. First of all, I am mindful of the fact that there is so much to be said about this subject, so much. And in the next 30 minutes, we're not going to be able to even scratch the surface of how much can and should be said about this topic. So I want you to understand that. I'm not going to say everything there is to say about the Christian and sex in the next 30 minutes. But I do have a specific thing that I want to share with you that hopefully can start us thinking and start the conversation more. Because as much as there is to be said, we don't talk about it. And I think the video tried to underscore that and help us... And we know that. I mentioned last time, the, uh, the last time I think that we talked about it in, in a, on a Sunday morning was 1996 in this church. So it's been a long time. And the other thing that I'm mindful of is not just that there is so much to say, but we need to say it. We need to talk about it. 
In the last three months, I have become aware of five young married couples whose marriages have been rocked by sexual sin. Now, they're not all from Forestbrook, thank, thank heavens. But these are young couples that I know that are in my kind of sphere of, of friendships. And they're all millennials. They're all under the age of 35. It's a, it's a significant problem, as we talked about last time. Not just for our younger adult population, but for the entire population, as we mentioned in some of the statistics. But we need to talk about it. It is something that we need to be able to converse intelligently on. Uh, and so what I want to do today is talk a little bit about this, what's wrong with sex and how do we get it right. So last year in 2017, there was a, and I think this happens every year, there's a sexuality conference at the University of Guelph. And last fall on CBC, they had a couple of radio specials that unpacked what had been presented at this conference. And they had several of the speakers uh, interviewed on this radio program on CBC. And so I listened to it and I took some notes and I listened very carefully because it gave a great insight into what the thinking is in our culture, in the academic world, in the practitioner's world, uh, in, the, you know, in the world where our kids are going to university, in the world that influences our media, in the world that influences our world, the thinking behind human sexuality uh, is something that you and I need to be very aware of because it's operating and under undergirding the world that we live in. So here's just a few things that came out of that. The, the, uh, ta- the, the special was called Sex and Truth, Shifting Identities on a Changing Sexual Landscape. And the, real, the, the point that the interviewer made through the hour-long interview with all the different people they interviewed was that who you are and what you do sexually is the new civil rights movement in our society. Liz Powell, a sex educator from San Francisco, said... Society creates an utterly unattainable ideal. People are feeling betrayed and looking for alternative options. Jessica Wood, an applied psychologist and sex researcher, said, after surveying several thousand people, said, people are embracing multiple sexual partners because we no longer believe that one person can fully meet the needs of another. And I think this quote, the one you have on the PowerPoint, probably sums up what what the, uh, the program was trying to say, best of all, this is Gail Rubin, an anthropologist and theorist, said, being a sexual human being and being the way you want to be sexually is a human right. There is no right way. The right way is consensual. That really does tell us what's going on in the culture and in the world that we live in. What we think about that. In summary, it's right to be who you want to be sexually and to do what you want to do sexually as long as it's consensual. So, as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we test this? How do we determine whether or not this value, this viewpoint of sexuality is right or wrong? How do we test it? Well, I want to follow the example of Jesus Because Jesus was asked a question, we read about it last last week, we talked about it, where he was asked a question about divorce. You remember that? And they asked some people came to him and they said, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? You'll find this in Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus said, haven't you read? And he took them all the way back to Genesis. And he said, in the beginning, this is what God intended. 
And it was a beautiful picture of how Jesus answered that question because they were living over here with a cultural norm that said, you know, it's okay under certain circumstances and, and they were operating under this and so they asked Jesus, they said, well, what about, you know, this is what we believe. What do you think about that, Jesus? And Jesus said, hold on a second. Let's go back to the very beginning. What did God say at the start of it all? And that's what we want to do. Because really, that's where our answers come from. I want to look at two passages from the book of Genesis that really frame this. And Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are formative, not just for the Christian, but for all of humanity. Because Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are the only documents in human literature that we have that come to us before the fall of man. That describe what the creator intended when he made humanity, when he made the world and set it all in motion before it all went south. In all of the Bible, just those two chapters give us that insight. In all of human literature, just those two chapters give us that insight. Divine revelation preserved through the generations, through thousands of years, it comes to us from before time began for humanity. And that's intentional. That's intentional. There are some things that God tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 that help us understand who we are, why we're here, and what we're meant to be doing. So in Genesis 1 verse 27, 28, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. And the thing I want us to capture in this is this idea of being made in the image of God. That human beings are made in the image of God. We're going to see in a second as we go along that we've lost that sense as a humanity. We have forgotten what it is to be human. We've reduced it to being part of the creation and part of the animal kingdom, and we are not. We are human beings created in the image of God. We are God's image bearers on earth. We were created after the physical creation and placed here to take care of it as God's representatives on earth. And human beings are unique in all of God's creation. Because we are created in the image of God. That's a significant term. It's a deep theological term that weaves its way through all of Scripture. I'm not going to unpack it except to say that it's from the very beginning God says, we're going to make a human being, we're going to make the male and female, and they're going to be our image bearers on earth. I don't want you to miss how significant that is. That is absolutely foundational to our understanding of who we are. And in Genesis chapter 2, 24, 25, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This comes after God had created the man, Adam, and taken him all through the creation, showed him all the animals that he had made, intentionally so that Adam would understand that there was, there was no one like him in all of the animal, animal kingdom. There was no animal that God had made that was like Adam, the man. And God did that to intentionally show him that he wasn't an animal. He was a man, a human being. And then God created the woman 
to complete and be compatible with him because God's intention was that he would create his image on earth in men and in women. And so once he created the man and once he created the woman, he says, for this reason, the man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And this is the next huge theological concept I want us to understand, one flesh. Very significant concept in Scripture. Very significant concept for us as people of faith, as Christ followers. That the intention is that the man and the woman would become one flesh. And this is the union of these two individuals in the same way that God is unified in the Trinity. One flesh is the same word as God is one. In the Old Testament where it says that God is one, it's the same word that's being used here to describe the union of a man and a woman as one flesh. It's more than body to body. It is mind, spirit, soul, and body woven together into one being. That's God's intention. That they would be one as he is one within the Trinity. So we see from the very beginning that when God created, this was his ideal. This is what he wanted to do. And this one flesh concept, the male and female, was so that they could, they could procreate, they could enjoy the uh, existence like God had, they could enjoy communion with one another, intimacy with one another, they could be God's image bearers on earth. That was the whole idea behind the creation. C.S. Lewis says that some of the ancient truths are so simple that when they're stated, they seem to be barren platitudes. Some of the ancient truths are so simple that when they're stated, they seem to be barren platitudes. They seem to be empty. They seem to be like, who could possibly believe that anymore? Because when we look at the very beginning, when we look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we can see what God had in mind for making us sexual creatures and what his intention was for us as sexual human beings. The biblical ethic for sex is this. That it is for one man and one woman in a lifelong one flesh relationship. That's the way we're created. That's the way the designer made us. That's the way. And you can see why when we've compared it with what we're hearing in our world and in our culture and what we're surrounded with, why this sounds like so simple and so unrealistic. Who could possibly believe that? How can one person fulfill all the needs of another person? It's just not possible anymore. But whatever we think about it, whatever we say about it, it doesn't change the reality of it. It doesn't change the truth of it. These are ancient truths. These are truths that have been around longer than humanity has been around. They're part of the design. They're part of the creation. They're part of the creator's intention. And here's the thing. In this context, in this setting, the way that God designed it, sex is good and it's blessed. God is not a prude. And the Bible is not puritanical when it comes to sex. The Bible has so many good things to say. It celebrates it. It encourages it. Read the Song of Solomon. Read Proverbs chapter 5. If you're a man who likes breasts, that's okay. As long as they're your wife's breasts. 
It says that in Proverbs 5. You're wondering, can you say breasts in church? Can you read the Bible in church? That's Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5 says, guys, find sexual satisfaction in your wife. Don't find it somewhere else. Find it in your wife. Learn to find it in your marriage. It's there. That's where it's designed. That's where it's intended to be. That's where it's beautiful. That's where it's blessed. That's where it's holy. Hebrews chapter 12. Keep marriage pure and the marriage bed undefiled. There is a place for sex. There is a a way that sex can be enjoyed and blessed and wonderful just as God created it. And it is in the one flesh relationship of one man and one woman. That's what our maker says. That's what he says. But after the fall, after the fall, things went sideways in a hurry, didn't they? By Genesis chapter 4, we have polygamy. A man taking more than one wife. Then we have gang rape. Then we have incest. Then we have rape. Then we have prostitution. Then we have seduction and adultery. And this is all before we get out of the book of Genesis. Humanity went sideways on our sexual personhood in a real hurry. And has been going sideways ever since. This week, you uh, may have listened to the President's State of the Union address south of the border. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives a State of the World address. And here again, this is a chapter that is weighty in its theological significance. And I'm not going to unpack all of it, but it is huge. It is so significant. It's on par with Genesis 1 and 2. Because here now in Paul's day, he's reflecting on creation. He's reflecting on God's intent when he made the human beings. And he's looking at his world and he's describing the world that we live in. And he describes it as a downward spiral going from worse to worse to worse. And the whole point of that is so that he can say to people, we need a savior. And that savior is Jesus Christ. He's going to go on with the rest of the book and talk about that and unpack it. But in Genesis chapter 1, he clearly has, or in Romans chapter 1, he clearly has the Genesis pre-fall passages in his mind, and he uses a literary device which mimics that, and he talks about how we have, when we turned our back on God, we turned our back on all the things that God intended, and one of those things is our sexuality. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Therefore God gave them over, in the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. What Paul was saying is that as we turned away from God in the fall and as we rejected God as our maker and as we rejected rejected God as our creator, things began to get worse and worse. We became more and more unlike what God wanted us to be. And part of that is who we are as sexual human beings. It's distorted. It's spoiled. It's broken in human beings today. What have we forgotten? What have we forgotten? What is at the root of all sexual sin? 
Dallas Willard says this. He says, the body lies at the center of the spiritual life. It is the primary place of dominion and my responsibility. That's a significant statement too. I hope, we, I hope the recording turns out because we might need to go back and listen to some of these and ponder because these concepts that I'm throwing out here that I'm throwing out so lightly, these are concepts that people, people spend their whole lives studying and, and learning about. They are huge and significant. One flesh, image of God, and the fact that as human beings, we are embodied spirits. We are embodied spirits. We're more than animals. We are embodied spirits, and that's what we've forgotten as a race. We've forgotten that. That the body is part of who we are as a created being. Dallas Willard reminds us that we're not animals, that we are a different kind of creation. And he says here that the body lies at the center of the spiritual life. We sing about surrendering to Jesus Christ. We, we acknowledge him as our Lord and as our Savior. And we say that we, we want to serve God and live in his kingdom and live for him always. Do you know that that begins with this? It begins with what I do with this. This is what I have dominion over. I would love to be able to say I submit my wife to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't have dominion over her. I have dominion over me. I have dominion over this. And so my greatest act of submission to God is when I give this to him. When I give my body to him. Because I am a created and embodied spirit. The spirit, the soul that God has given me inhabits this body. I don't know if you've ever had that weird sensation when you kind of go, how did I get here? Like, how, how, how come I'm inside this body why am I not Howard? Why am I not, you know, uh, Paul? Why am I not somebody else? Why am I Kevin? I don't know if you ever had that experience. It's actually a, a cool phenomena because it's one of the proofs of the existence of God. The fact that you are, that you're conscience and you're self-aware. That is one of the existential proofs of the existence of God. Because God made me. God gave me that soul and spirit and put it in this body through the act of my father and mother coming together in sexual union and he made me. And here I am. Right? I am an embodied spirit. And what, what I need to remember is that it's what I do with this body matters. What I do with this body matters. Every part of me is meant to live for God's glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You're bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. And this is what we need to recapture and understand as a people, and especially as young people. What we do with our bodies matters. We're not, you know... Animals, we're not disembodied spirits. It's not that, you know, the, the spirit is one thing and the body is another. What we do with our body matters. God wants us to glorify him with our bodies. And so, no. If you're a Christ follower, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, if you're a Christ follower, no. You can't do with your body whatever you want. You can't. 
Not if you want to honor God with your body. Not if you want to honor Christ as your Lord. As a full person. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Let us present ourselves to God, our bodies to God, as living sacrifices. Why is that so important? It's because we've lost, we've lost the sense that we are embodied spirits created in the image of God for this earth. You see, we're, we're thinking as Christians, well, the body really doesn't matter because we're going to go to heaven. And when we go to heaven, it's all going to be good. So what happens on this side of, of death, you know, that's, that doesn't really matter. It's all going to be washed away. I, can, I don't have to worry about it. But God is saying, no, I made you for this world, this time, right now. This is your time. To be alive in the way that I intended you to be alive. Yes, there is a glorious future waiting. But this is our time to be embodied spirits in this world, in this place. To be the image bearers of God in the here and now. And so we are intended to offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices and glorify God with our bodies. Not just with our minds, not just with our our souls and our spirits, but with our bodies as well. Shout out to the Daniel plan. I like to make fun of those guys that are doing the Daniel plan, but good for you, because you're taking that to the next level. How do we honor God with our physical bodies? Good for you. So if that's the case, what about the LGBT? community. What can we say about them? Well, we need to talk about that as well because that's extremely prevalent in our age, in our culture. And for many, we feel that it's a done deal and decided in our culture already because the culture has already moved on to a place where we feel left behind. And there's some truth to that. So I just want to share a few things about this in context of what we're talking about. First of all, I want to say it's an extremely complicated subject, more than you know. I've been reading and studying on this subject for over four years. Our church elders have been discussing it and praying about it and wrestling with it for more than two years. We recognize that sexual identity is something that we've learned a whole lot more about because of the help that we receive through the social and biological sciences. Truth is, is that the Bible doesn't really say much at all about a person's sexual identity. We recognize that sexual identity is a complex subject. It's made up of many parts. How we see ourselves, who we're attracted to, those are all parts of who we are as sexual human beings. Our biology, our predispositions, all of that. And I'm no expert But I can summarize that I don't believe that people choose to be gay or transgender. It is something they discover about themselves. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard in our world, it's hard in our culture, and it's especially hard in the church. It's something that people learn about themselves through their experience as they grow up and as they go through life. I could theorize about why I think that's the case, but that's not what I'm here to do, except to say that I don't believe that people choose it. I've talked with Christians who are gay. I've talked with Christians who are trans, 
who are trying to follow Jesus and trying to describe what they've gone through with their life. And I can't make sense of all of it, and I, don't, I can't bring myself to agree with all of it. But I can tell you, theirs is an extremely difficult journey. And I can tell you they need our love and our support and not our judgment. In the church, our role is not to try to get people to change their sexual identity or orientation. It is to help people find their true identity in Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's our role. And it is a journey. It is a journey. Now having said that, whether you're gay or straight, male or female, young or old, it still matters what you do with your body. It still matters what you do with your body. And if you are a Christ follower, you still need to glorify God with your choices around your body. And I know that can be incredibly difficult. And if that's true, there really isn't any compatibility between a same-sex relationship or marriage and God's intent for human beings in a one-flesh union. Not if we look at what scriptures say as being authoritative and formative for humanity. Now I recognize that can be an incredibly difficult thing for people to hear. And so I want to hasten to say that if this is something that touches your life personally or the life of someone you love, then I want you to hear this, please. Realize that this is no longer a doctrinal discussion. Now it needs to become a pastoral one. Now we need to walk alongside of one another. Now we need to, to, we need to come together and listen to one another and, and pray together and figure this out together with the help of the Spirit. I hope that we'll hear that. I wasn't sure how I was going to end this message. And I asked God, how do I land it? Um, I really did. I really did. Because I know that it's something that people will have mixed reactions to. And some of us might be, be unhappy with what we're hearing. Some of us might be offended by what we're hearing. Some of us might be angry by what we're hearing. And so I, I went to God and I said, God... We want, to, we want to be honest about your truth. We want to be honest about your word. And we want, want to be honest about who we are and where we are as people and where we are as a world. How on earth, Lord, did we bring these things together? How do I land this? What do I want people to hear? What do you, Lord, want people to hear as we finish our time together on this topic? And God answered my prayer. And he gave me Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you might say, Kevin, that's really strange. What on earth does that have to do with what you're talking about? It has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with it. Jesus loved everyone. Especially people with messes. No one ever walked away from Jesus feeling unloved. They didn't always like what they heard. Sometimes they walked away sorrowful. Sometimes they walked away angry. But no one ever walked away from him feeling unloved. 
To Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he said, come down. I want to eat at your place tonight. To the woman taken in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. To the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, the one with the horrible track record of relation, or to the woman with the horrible track record of relationships, he said, if you drink what I have to offer, you'll never thirst again. To the thief who was crucified next to him on Golgotha, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And to Mary Magdalene, the prostitute who was tormented by seven demons, he said, Mary, when she became the very first human being to see the resurrected Jesus. Whoever you are, whatever your sin, this is your Jesus. This is your Jesus. You might walk away because you're sad or maybe because you're angry. But know that you are loved more than you will ever, ever know. And so because of that, I want to share this commitment with you about our church, this church. As I said, there's so much more to be said, and we are certainly not experts. But we want to be like Jesus. So this is our commitment to you. Whatever your sin, and we've been talking these last two weeks about sexual sin. We could talk about all kinds of other sins, right? The Bible doesn't single those out as as sins above all other sins. I mean, there's not one of us that's not a sinner in some way. We've just been talking about this sin in particular. So whatever your sin, we want you to know that this is a place where you are welcome with your mess. We're not here to judge you. Not one of us is able to throw a stone at you. We will pray with you and listen to you. We will speak truth to you. Because we believe the truth sets you free. But we will sit in the middle of your mess with you. We will walk alongside of you as you follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because that's what Jesus does. Our purpose in doing these two messages was not to shame or guilt anyone, but to invite honesty, openness, and to offer help. If sexual sin is something that you struggle with, get help. Come and talk to us. Talk to a pastor. Talk to an elder. Talk to someone. Let us begin to journey with you. Let us begin to walk alongside of you. Let us begin to pastor you and shepherd you and pray with you and help you walk through this so that you also can learn to glorify God with your body. C.S. Lewis said that the one flesh relationship that God made is so special and so beautiful, but when we break it apart... And we take the sexual union that was intended for a one flesh union and use it in any other way. We spoil it. We dehumanize it. We minimize it. And we make it shameful. God does not want us to be ashamed 
of who we are as sexual beings or what we do as sexual beings, which is why he gave us a context for it within which he can bless it and make it beautiful and glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words and thank you for your love. I pray, Father, that uh, in the words that I have shared, people will hear you and your love. Lord Jesus, I pray that people will hear you in what's been said today. And anything that has been said that is not of you, I pray, would just be blown away in the wind. Because your words are life. Yours are the words that we desire to hold to. Lord, I pray for our congregation. I pray for all of us. I pray for us, Lord, in our sinfulness. Not that we would be ashamed or feel guilty for our sin, but instead, Lord, that we would We would want to come to you for forgiveness and healing and restoration. That we would be honest about who we are and what's going on in our lives and in our marriages and in our homes and in our families. And we would bring that and lay that at your feet knowing, Lord, that we don't have what it takes to fix ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. And you are that Savior. And so, Lord Jesus, would you, by the balming presence of your Holy Spirit. Seal these words of yours deep into the hearts and souls and spirits of all of us as your people, that we might glorify you in the way that you intend. And in your name we pray. Amen.